This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Tipping Point Show. I'm Jimmy Evans. I'm so glad that you have joined me today. I have been off for about six weeks. Uh, the program last week with Rabbi Jonathan Kahn was actually recorded before I left. But we took our kids and grandkids up to the mountains uh, for a week, and I just took some time off and rested. And that's the first time I've done that in over, before COVID. It's the last time I had some time off like that. So I'm rested and back, and I thank you guys for hanging in there. Thanks to Dr. Mark Hitchcock for doing a phenomenal job while I was gone. Such great content. He's such a great teacher. Thank you, Dr. Mark Hitchcock. But thank you guys, and I'm glad to be back. We do have our Prophecy Conference coming up September 17th right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex at Fellowship Church. Pastor Ed Young is the pastor there. He'll be speaking at the conference. All-day conference from 9 to 5.30 that day. Myself, Jonathan Kahn. We have Ed Young, Mark Hitchcock, Greg Laurie, Billy Crone. We're going to have a great day. I'll be teaching twice that day. And also, I'm, I'm preaching the next morning at Fellowship on the end times. And so we're going to have a great end times weekend for those of you who can join us. We have thousands of people already signed up in person and on, online for the live stream. And so we're filling up. Enter in your discount code. You get 20% off. You can buy as many tickets as you want to. Bring family, friends, neighbors, people from work. Bring a group from church. We would love to have you come, but we are filling up. And so be sure and sign up as quickly as you can. I want to, in this program today, I want to bring a teaching called, Will Sinners Be Raptured? Now, this is a, a very common question that I get, probably the most common question that I get from believers, and that is, will my sin keep me from being raptured? A lot of people have a lot of anxiety about that. And the devil's always there to condemn us and to tell us that we're, you know, we're second-class citizens and we're not going to be raptured and God doesn't love us and all those kinds of things. And so I want to talk in this message and answer this question. Will my sin, I'm talking about Jimmy Evans, will my sin keep me from being raptured? How much sin can I have in my life and still be confident that I'm going to be raptured? Okay, that, that's a really important question. Okay, And so to answer this question, I'm actually going to go to the Old Testament, beginning in the Old Testament. We're going to get to the New Testament here in just a minute. But I want to go to the Old Testament, and I want to look at a, a concise scripture text that talks about the Feast of Israel, the seven Feasts of Israel. This is Exodus 23, beginning in verse 14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. This is God speaking. You shall keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the fruit, first fruits of your labor, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So this is a summary now of seven feasts. Now the detail is in Leviticus 23. If you want to see all the feasts in detail, seven feasts, that's Leviticus 23. But this is the Lord speaking. And he's talking about three times of the year that there are going to be feasts. The first is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread includes the Feast of Passover, the feast that, which was a one-day feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a seven-day feast, 
and then the Feast of First Fruits, which was a one-day feast that happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, the, the, but, but it's interesting that God focuses on the unleavened bread, and for seven days you can't eat bread. Okay, so that's the first time of the year when everybody comes together and celebrates those feasts. Well, the second feast, or actually the fourth feast, but the second time of the year where there's a very important feast is called the Feast of Harvest. Now, we would also call this the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Okay, it happened 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. And the, the Feast of Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit fell on the church. Unleavened bread is when Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. The Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Harvest, is when the high priest would go and take the two uh, loaves of bread and wave them before the Lord, okay? And it's called the Feast of Harvest. And the third feast in the fall of the year was called Feast of Ingathering. He says, this is when you're going to bring your fruit in from the field, and that included the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the seven feasts of Israel are a pro prophetic grid of the future. The seven feasts of Israel tell us the future. We know that because Jesus was crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, he was resurrected on first fruits, and the Holy Spirit fell on the church on the day of Pentecost. So we, we absolutely know that the feasts are all historically fulfilled. The next three feasts are gonna be fulfilled but they're fulfilled in order on the day. So they're a picture of history, but they're also a picture of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Adam and Eve fell. They, their spirit died. They were uh, created by God with a living spirit, but when they sinned against him, their spirit died. But Jesus died on the cross, Passover. He was buried, unleavened bread. He was resurrected, first fruits and the Holy Spirit fell on the church, that was God's plan of redemption, to redeem mankind from our fallen state. But we have three more feasts. Trumpets is when we're raptured to be in the presence of God. The Day of Atonement is when Jesus returns at the second coming to purify the earth from all of its sin, to kill the sinners and those that have rebelled against God. And then uh, Tabernacles is when we live eternally with God. So this is a picture of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Okay, so Jewish, Jewish rabbis, by the way, have taught that for thousands of years. And so I want to talk about the focus of the feast, especially the first four feasts uh, in this question. I'm answering a question. Will my sin keep me from the rapture? Because will sinners be raptured? Okay. So the interesting fact is the first three feasts all focused on unleavened bread. When God comes in Exodus 23 and he's talking about the first three feasts, he only talks about unleavened bread. He didn't focus much on the Passover or on first fruits. It was all on unleavened bread. So you say, why would the first three feasts focus on unleavened bread? Because leaven represents sin in the Bible. Jesus told the, the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, sin. So leaven means sin. Jesus was sinless. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to atone for our sins. And the reason that unleavened bread is a seven-day feast is seven is the number of perfection or completion. Jesus perfectly removed sin from the human race. Okay, those seven days represented the, the perfect removal of sin by Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He was born perfect. He lived perfect. He never sinned, and he removed sin from the human race. Okay, so that's unleavened. Okay, that's, that's the first three feasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If you're browsing the internet without a secure VPN connection, big tech companies have access to your information. The way I make sure my privacy is protected is by using today's sponsor, ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN helps you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address a unique identifier that every device has that allows big tech to match your activity back to you. Visit expressvpn.com forward slash end times right now to secure your internet connection. That's expressvpn.com slash end times. But here's an interesting fact. The fourth feast, the Feast of Pentecost, focused on leaven bread. The bread had to be leavened. Now I told you Exodus 23 is a summary. Leviticus 23 is the detail. Here's Leviticus 23 beginning in verse 16. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are first fruits to the Lord. They shall be baked with leaven. Now the first three feasts, they absolutely could not have leaven in their homes. It was absolutely forbidden. But now the fourth feast, the, they are all baking loaves in their house with leaven. And they're coming out and the priest is going to take these loaves and wave them, two loaves, before the Lord. Well, those loaves represent us. Jews and Gentiles coming into the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is. The Jews, first of all, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell on the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was part of God's plan of redemption. That when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple ripped from top to bottom. God's presence was no longer behind that curtain in the, in the temple. Is now when the Holy Spirit fell on the church, we know, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so now the Holy Spirit falls on the Jews in Acts 2. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, who is a, a, a Roman, who is a Gentile, the Holy Spirit falls on his house, also in his household, just like it did in Acts chapter 2. So now Jews and Gentiles have come into the fullness of God. Here's the point. We have a sin nature. God knows we have a sin nature and God has not taken that sin nature away from us until the day that we see Jesus face, either through death or from through the rapture, we have a sin nature. 100% of believers who are raptured will be sinners who sin. All of us. And you can say, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. So am I. I understand that. I still have a sin nature. God doesn't want us to live a defeated life controlled by sin. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And he died on the cross to set us free from Satan's dominion and power over sin. Okay, so I'm not talking about le leading a defeated life and just saying, well, you know, God's given me grace. I can do anything I want to do and I'm still saved. We need to live a life that glorifies God. And we need to live a life that honors the purpose of Jesus' death. And that is to free us from the tyranny of sin. Okay, but even if we have been set free, 
And even if we're filled with the Holy Spirit and are dedicated to the Lord, we still have a sin nature. And let me prove it to you in the scriptures. In Romans chapter seven, the apostle Paul confesses his sin, okay? And he's talking now as a real believer who wrestles with sin. This is Romans chapter seven. This is the message version, by the way, of the Bible, beginning in verse 14. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commandments are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commandment is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide to not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly, covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Now, you, you know good and well you relate to that. I relate to that. I, I feel helpless. I want to do the right thing, but I just can't do it. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do it. And it's just, it's just predictable that something within me, the Apostle Paul says, something within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions and it's predictable. It's predictable. He's, he's talking about what all of us experience. And that is, I want, I love Jesus. I believe in the Bible, but I struggle. I struggle. My fallen flesh is there. It's resident. It's resident. It's not going away before I die or before the rapture. It's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to the rapture, because I want to get rid of this stinking flesh that Adam and Eve passed on to all of us. Our fallen flesh is resident within all of us and will never go away in this lifetime. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Okay, so here's the question. At the end of his confession, the Apostle Paul, he says this, I'm sure you've heard this before, and this is, again, Romans 7, verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, that's verse 24, Romans 7. After all that he just said, he is saying, what, hey, who's going to help me with this issue that I have regarding my sin? Okay, now he's going to answer the question. All of us have our sin warring against our best intentions. We want to serve God. We want to do the right thing, but we're dealing with ourselves, not just the devil. We're dealing with this sin nature within us that's constantly trying to take over. Okay, so this is a scripture that I want to read here. This is Romans 8. Paul asks a question. In Romans chapter 7, he confesses his weakness that we can all relate to. But then he goes to Romans 8 and he answers his question. That's the, remember, when the Bible was written, there weren't chapters and verses. Okay, so this, the, the chapters and verses did not stop thoughts. 
He's in a thought in chapter seven. He goes right into that same thought in chapter eight. Okay, it's a continuation of chapter seven. So he asked a question in Romans chapter seven, who is going to save me from this body of death? In Romans chapter eight, he mentions the Holy Spirit 15 times in 16 verses. Okay, so what is the answer? Remember Pentecost? Pentecost, there were two loaves of leaven bread waved before God representing sinful Gentiles and sinful Jews that now come into the fullness by the Holy Spirit. That's what it represents. The Apostle Paul confesses. Then he asks the question, how am I going to get out of this situation? Then he answers his question. This is verse 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me stop right here. Okay. I'm sure you've heard that before. I hope you've heard that scripture before. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay. This is the first time the Holy Spirit's mentioned there, by the way. Why is there no con condemnation? Have you ever thought about that? Let me answer it. Because God knows we can't stop sinning. And you say, wait just a minute, Jimmy. I can stop sinning. Eh, you can stop the little stuff. You can't stop the big stuff. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. The, the Apostle Paul was the sharpest knife in the drawer. He's better than you. He's better than me. He was one of the most brilliant men in New Testament history. He did more than any of us will ever do in this life for the Lord. Okay, the Apostle Paul was this incredible man of God, and he's confessing he can't do it. I want to do the right thing. I can't. I want to stop doing the wrong thing. I can't. I'm, it's, it's me, the law of sin in me sabotaging myself. So he confesses, then he asks a question. Now he's answering the question, there's therefore no, no condemnation. So let me say, God doesn't expect you to stop sinning. He expects you to rely on the Holy Spirit. And if you rely on the Holy Spirit, you will stop sinning. The Holy Spirit is our only hope of not sinning. He gives me power over my flesh. Galatians 5 talks about the flesh versus the spirit because they're, they're at enmity against me. If you walk in the flesh, you will not carry out the desires of the spirit for the spirit sets itself against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. And it talks about all the deeds of the flesh, which are adultery, uncleanness, division, envy, jealousy, murder, all these outbursts of anger, all these bad things. And then it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the law is about us. Condemnation is about us. See, if the devil is able to condemn you, it means you think you can do it or you've decided that you can't do it. But it's all about us. Condemnation is about me. Whenever, whenever I have done something wrong and the devil comes to condemn me, he says, Jimmy, you just did something wrong, this and this and this. Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, I did something wrong. And so you're condemned. No, I'm not condemned. Why am I not condemned? Because God knows that I'm too weak not to sin, not to live in sin. But my mistake was I wasn't relying on the Holy Spirit. See, grace is about Jesus. The devil doesn't want you focused on Jesus. He wants you focused on yourself. He wants you to focus on you. That's what condemnation does. That's what the Apostle Paul was confessing. I'm defeated. I, I just don't know what to do. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? The Holy Spirit. It's not about you and this entire question of will my sins keep me from the rapture? Okay, now God doesn't want you to live in sin. I'm not advertising sin in any way. I'm just telling you, you got leaven. You have a sin nature in you, and that sin nature wants to control you, and you cannot tame that sin nature. Period. End of story. I can't, you can't, we can't. But the Holy Spirit can. 
The Holy Spirit was given to us so that we can live in victory. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who don't walk according to the flesh. They walk according to the Spirit. Why is there no condemnation? Because I know I can't do it. God knows I can't do it. He didn't expect me to do it. But He does expect me to yield to the Holy Spirit. Here's verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let me read that one more time. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, we have this law in us, this law of sin and death. You can't do anything about it, but you can overcome it with a greater law. This law of the spirit of life in Jesus, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of life in Jesus will overcome sin in us if we allow him to come in and to be the Lord of our lives. Here's verse three, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let me stop right there. You see, the we sin. We, we, we have sin in our life. You have leaven. I have leaven. Let's just deal with that. Get it out there. We can all relate to Romans chapter seven, what what. Paul is saying, but we all can't relate to Romans 8. See, some people, they, they either just give in to sin and just give up, or they don't think there's an answer. They, they just don't think that they're, that they're strong enough or they're good enough or they'll ever be able to do that. Let me just agree with you. You won't. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. But you don't have to be good and you don't have to be strong. That's the really, really good news. Every single one of us who are believers, you wake up in the morning and you say, Holy Spirit, I need you so much. I need your fruits. I need your gifts. I want you to come and I want you to give me love, supernaturally, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By the way, there's uh, self-control there in goodness. You know what that means? Goodness means he changes your desires. And self-control means he gives you the ability to say no and to say yes when you need to. Goodness. I don't want to live the rest of my life trying not to do something I really want to do. I want to live the rest of my life wanting to do something I really want to do. In other words, I want to have, I want, I want to desire what God, God wants me to desire. And I want the supernatural ability to say no and yes when I need to. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Goodness and self-control plus love and joy and peace and all those other things. The Holy Spirit is the oil, the engine of our emotions was designed to run on. And when we're allowing the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's amazing how beautiful life can be, even in difficult times. When we're walking without the Holy Spirit, we're trying to run the engine without oil. We overheat and lock down real quick. God loves you. It's not about you. You have sin in your life. I have sin in my life. You have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. That's just the truth. What are we going to do about it? And here's the answer. The answer to the leaven of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. I'm just about to go into the news and the Q&A for those of you who are subscribers, but um, let me leave you with an illustration. There was a thief on the cross next to Jesus. There were two thieves next to Jesus on the cross. And one rejected him and mocked him. And the other thief on the cross next to Jesus said one sentence. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay. Now, what happened when he said that? Okay, let me give you. Let me kind of give you a multiple choice here. Choice A is Jesus said to him, "Who in the world do you think you are, man? You're sitting here being crucified for being a thief. You're not good enough to go to heaven." Okay, that's choice A. Okay, 
Choice B is, he said that to Jesus, and Jesus said, do you think that short of a prayer is going to get you to heaven? Now, if you're going to get to heaven, you need, you need to start praying right now and, and pray before I die that I forgive you. Okay. Here's choice number three. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not focusing on how bad of a life he lived. This man was a thief. This, this is the only good thing he'd probably ever done in his life. The choice C is right. You all know that. Jesus doesn't want to lecture you. He loves you. He doesn't want to reject you, and he doesn't want you to live your life trying to work your way to God. You can't possibly work your way to God, neither can I. He wants you to come to the understanding that he's a, he adores you, that he accepts you, even with your sin. He has to. All of us come with sin. He has to. And that the road to heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ. As soon as the thief said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those words established a relationship to where he recognized the lordship of Jesus. And Jesus said to that man, you're going to go to paradise with me today. No lectures, no browbeating, no religious nonsense, no legalism. And I'm saying to you, I want to live a good life till Jesus comes, but I still have sin. And, and when Jesus comes and raptures me, if I'm playing golf, I may have you know, thought a bad word. I don't know. You know. It's not going to keep me from the rapture. Whatever, whatever you do. Now, if you're living just a life of wanton sin, I doubt your salvation. I mean, if you're able to live just absolutely just doing anything you want anytime you want, just that's a different thing. But if you're a, someone who loves Jesus, but you know you're not perfect and you struggle with stuff, hey, join the club. Jesus is coming to rapture his church. And the number one thing is a relationship with Jesus. Do, do you know him? Do you love him? Do you talk to him? Do you, do you care about what he thinks? Do you read the Bible ever? Do you, you know, those are the things you need to be focused on. Do, do you have a relationship with him? If you do, you're going to go in the rapture and your sin will not keep you from that. And that's some good news. Stop, stop wrestling with yourself. Stop condemning yourself and just understand all he expects is for you to rely on him. Okay, so I want to go now into the subscriber only portion of the program. This, by the way, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, this is how we support the ministry, okay? Well, you just got a lot of teaching right there for free. We charge for the rest, and also we have things that come out all week long. That helps us to pay the bills. All the people that work here, all the good people that help us put this on, $7 a month, $77 a year. Go to endtimes.com and subscribe. We would love to have you be a subscriber to the program so you get the entire podcast and everything else that comes out through the week. It'll bless you, and it blesses us too. It helps us to do what we do here. $7 a month, $77 a year, endtimes.com. For those of you who are subscribers, stay tuned. Thanks for watching our weekly Tipping Point show. If you enjoyed this show, leave a comment below and like and subscribe to our channel. For access to our full show and other great End Times content from teachers like Greg Laurie, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and myself, join us as a subscriber on endtimes.com for $7 a month or $77 a year. Become a subscriber at endtimes.com for articles, videos, full episodes, and more.